Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today on the podcast, we're chatting with Tony Giles, a.k.a. Tony the Traveller. Tony is a traveller who is both blind and hearing impaired and yet has travelled independently to almost 140 countries. And he's got his next countries chosen already. Before we chat to Tony, please help us out by giving us a review and rating on iTunes. And if you haven't already done so, it would be great if you hit the follow button so you can receive the episodes as soon as they're released. Right, let's meet Tony the Traveller. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we're chatting with Tony Giles, otherwise known as Tony the Traveller. Tony's joining us from the UK. How are you doing today, Tony? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you with us on the podcast. Thanks for making the time to chat to me. Can we start off by asking you just to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit of your story? So my name's Tony Giles. I'm 42 years old. Um, I was born with a rare eye condition, uh, which basically means I'm totally blind, but I had uh, light sensitivity as a baby and as a young child. And then I went partially deaf between the age of four or five. And my hearing got progressively worse over the years, so much so that I now use digital hearing aids in both ears. But I have no speech impairment. And my vision, um, apart from the light sensitivity, which is more or less gone, basically, from the age of about 18 or 19, I spent the last 22 years traveling the world by myself independently. That's quite something to have done. So tell us just broadly about the travels that you've done. And I know that it's actually with with the amount of traveling you've done, it's almost easier to ask about where haven't you been. It's probably a shorter list than where have you been. But just in very broad strokes, where have you traveled to? Yeah, so I spent the last 22 years traveling the world. Um, Initially, I spent my time traveling and studying in the States. I got the opportunity to do a... American Studies degree over there. And um, so I traveled around there and then went back seeing friends and then realized I enjoyed traveling. Uh, so I spent the first sort of 10 years in the States, Canada, South America, Brazil, Argentina, um, a little bit of Europe, um, and Australia, New Zealand. And then uh, sort of spent the last sort of 10 years um, going to more sort of difficult countries. Um, uh, I spent a lot of time in Africa, in West Africa. Uh, um, Senegal, Republic of Guinea, Ghana, places like that. 
uh, and now sort of branching out more into India, uh, Asia. I've been to Japan the last few years, Russia, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia, those kinds of countries. Uh, my life goal is to visit every country in the world. Um, to date, I've visited about 140. How many are left on the list? Sorry? How many are left on the list? Um, well, according to the UN, there's 193 countries. Um, and I've got about 70 of them to do. And then I've got, kind of got my own list of, sort of places that are not sort of classified as independent countries, um, like the Falkland Islands and the Faroes, things like that, Kosovo. So, and then I want to visit every populated island in Greece and things like that. <laughs> Keep me busy. That's quite a, a life's ambition to have. I mean, when I was younger, one of my biggest dreams was to go everywhere in the world and meet everyone in the world. And I think you're <laughs> quite a bit closer to that than I am at this stage. What is it about travel? What is the best thing for you about traveling? Oh, it's 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 the challenge. It's 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 getting from A to B under my own steam or as much as independently as possible um, in places I've never been to before and trying to work out how I'm going to get from A to B and what will happen on that journey and who I might meet, and what might happen. And for me, the unknown, and it's, and it's the, um, the thing that's satisfying for me that getting to that end goal at the end of each day or however long it takes. And, who I meet on the way and the experiences I have and the um, uh, more so now the um, what I learn what I learn about myself and what I learn about the people and the cultures and the countries I visit when I first started traveling it was about escapism it was about having a crazy adventure and drinking as much and all this kind of stuff and now it's become much more a learning experience and uh, finding out about people and countries and people say why do you want to go and see a country if you're blind and I say well why not because me it's not about the vistas or the landmarks it's about the people and the culture and how people live and how they cope with their day-to-day challenges um, particularly in countries that are less uh, how less infrastructure than you know I do in the UK that's what it's become and hopefully I can inspire other people to and go out and have a go at what they uh, struggle to do. Have you traveling is amazing? It's have amazing. You always, have you always been adventurous? I mean, as a young child as well, or is that something that you've developed since you've uh, been traveling? No, I think I was born adventurous. I was sort of born to travel. I um, I went to school uh, thirty kilometers away from my home from the age of five um, because there wasn't the support in my local schools um, for a blind deaf child so even at that young age I was traveling and then I went to boarding school when I was 10 over 400 kilometers from my family and that was the first sort of desire to travel and go home and see my parents and then I got the opportunity to go to the states as a 16 year old and that was so different from the UK and, and then it was just a sort of progression really but I'd I'd always been interested in being riding a bike, a three-wheel bike from the sort of age three or four, and playing football with my friends. And yeah, I had some very um, open-minded mum 
And having an older brother and sister, she could see that I wasn't any different to them in terms of my intelligence or, you know, my interests. Um, so I was just blind. So she knew if she got me educated, then I'd have a fair chance in the world. I don't think she ever thought I'd go and travel around the world and do cozy things, but she's kind of accepted it because it's what I wanted to do. I think having a an open-minded support system makes such a difference, particularly if we're wanting to travel. But let's shift to one of, another question, the, the other side of that. What is it that you find is particularly challenging or difficult for you when you travel? Um, like um, I was trying to access money from cash machines uh, when I'm traveling in countries that uh, don't have the infrastructure like the USA or the UK. I have to find people I can trust. That's always been a challenge. Um, obviously, I can't read someone's face. So it's been about listening to people and kind of sussing out whether I can trust that person. Um, how do they sort of react to my blindness? And then sort of listening and sort of sensing their vibe before I can. You know, I think I think yeah, they, I can trust them to go to a cash machine and um, read the screen for me and help me get money, things like that. Um, and also staying with people. For the last ten years, I've been using something called called couch surfing, where it's a website online and you can go and stay with people. Um, I've always been a very sort of trusting person because I've always had to have assistance um, just as ask someone to help me cross the road and give me directions. So I've always had to trust people. Um, that's an issue. And then having different currencies on me at any one time, especially if I'm traveling across the continent, I, I might have three or four different currencies on me when I've been in Africa or South America. So being organized and, and hoping that someone won't rip me off when I buy something, because it's easy to give someone a $20 bill or a 10 rand no, and not get back the change you think you should have because you can't see. Particularly in someone like the US when the money is all the same size. Um, I've had that on occasion. Um, I stayed in a, a hostel in Denver on one occasion and I had to give a key deposit. So I gave a $10 note. And uh, when I brought the keys back uh, three days later and checked out, I asked for my money back. And um, I only know when I went to pay the taxi driver Instead of a ten dollar note, it was a one dollar note. Um, so yeah, things like that. Um, but it's part of traveling and part of life, and it can happen to anyone. So um, I'm aware of that. And, but yeah, things like that. Also, sometimes um, <laughs> I've given my camera to someone to take a picture with me, and it, um, sometimes uh, people have walked off with a camera. Ooh. That's quite disconcerting. Um, yeah, so, things like that. They're, kind of difficult thing and also the most hardest thing is crossing borders when you're blind um particularly in poorer countries um you don't see where your passport goes and you have to sort of hope it's going to come back and hope that you don't have to sort of pay money to get it back but things like that really what do you manage in that sort of environment because there is a certain amount of trust a certain amount of control that one has to give over to somebody else in that type of situation how do you manage yeah. that yeah um i think you sort of try and sort of make sure you're around other people when it happens so uh, you've got some kind of witness or some kind of 
you know, have a person that's uh, some kind of security, you know, um, trying to get fellow travellers to do it at the same time. So things like that, really. Um, and just kind of hope um, that people will be uh, kind and uh, not try to take too much advantage. And for the most part, I've been lucky. Um, I've got Braille on my passport, so it makes it slightly more easier to identify for me. Um, yeah, so it's trying to have as many sort of um, backup things as possible or things that makes it as unique as possible, really. Um, take copies of my passport. But at the end of the day, it's about trusting people and a bit of luck um, and sort of my faith in uh, my fellow human. Um, have you ever been in situations where you felt at risk? or felt threatened in, in any of your travels? Because you've traveled to a number of countries around the world that sighted people might look and go, I wouldn't <laughs> be comfortable. Have you been it felt yeah. that sort of feeling? Um, very rarely. And I think the fact that from a young age, I've always had a, a positive attitude and a sort of carefree, slightly naive, naive attitude, really. And um, never really worried too much about my safety. Um, I think probably because the fact I can't see the dangers um, so much probably makes me uh, maybe feel a little bit less afraid and uh, less worried about it. Um, I do remember feeling a bit uncomfortable when I was in Caracas, Venezuela, uh, just being on the streets, really, um, even though I was with, with a friend. I, I did feel aware that, it was a very poor country and things could happen there. Um, but not really anywhere else, apart from border crossing. That's the only time where I sort of felt slightly worried or disconcerted. Um, just being in crowds and being pushed about. And, um, yeah, you get sort of not knowing if the passport would come back or um, sometimes being in situations where I've not got my entry stamp. <laughs> things like that. Um, I've been stuck in. Um, a coup de tete actually crossed the border from Senegal into Mali the day they had a military coup de tete. I didn't know anything about it until I got down to the capital. And I was told the country, the borders had been closed and the, the government had gone into hiding. And I thought, well, <laughs> it is what it is. I couldn't really do much about it. So mm, things like that have happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I kind of go with the flow, really. Mm, I'm out for adventure. Which is in itself uh, requires a certain skill set to be comfortable to just see what happens. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's just kind of part of my character and I sort of experience lots of different things throughout my life. And as you said, mm. the adventurous side of your spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the trips that you do, you travel for quite extended periods of time. How much planning goes into those trips and, and to what degree do you plan them? So um, as a blind person, I've always said to other people, you need to do your research because you can't just walk into a hotel or a hostel or pick up um, a guidebook and think, oh, let's go to this place. So I always have to have some knowledge of the city or country I'm going to um, so that I can ask people, oh, how do I get to this tourist attraction? Um, and I've always had to, wanted to know how to get from the airport to my accommodation. 
I always tend to book my first accommodation in each country. Um, so I don't want to spend the first night on the street, especially if a foreign country, where the, la- uh, the language might not be English. Um, so I, that's the kind of research I do. And then I'll research in each country the kind of main cities I want to visit and uh, have a sort of list of tourist places I might want to visit. But that's about it. And then I also want to know the currency of uh, that country. And then if I'm going to somewhere where English isn't the first language, like Russia or Japan, I'll try and learn a few basic words um, to at least help me sort of get by. Hello, water, thank you. Because um, I feel that's just courteous. Um, so that's the kind of research I do. And then, um, but certainly when I first started traveling, when I was sort of 19, 20, 21, um, once I was in a country and I had my first accommodation, I tended to play everything else by ear then and just um, get information by word of mouth and meet other travelers and uh, do it that way. I do a bit more research now because some of the countries I'm going to, um, names of cities and places are a bit more difficult to remember. So, um, And I'll tend to do more research if I'm traveling with my girlfriend uh, just to make things a bit easier and more comfortable. And it does depend on the country. So I knew when we were going to Russia, I needed to book the trains in advance because there'd be no English in any of the train stations. And I just wanted to make it as easy as possible. Um, But other countries I've gone to, um, I've done less research. So it does depend. Um, And I also need to know that as a blind person, I'm going to need spare uh, canes and spare hearing aids, hearing aid batteries because I can get them in, say, South Africa or Australia, but it's going to be more difficult to, say, get them in somewhere like Papua New Guinea or Indonesia. So I have to be aware of things like that. Um, but otherwise, I try and go with, um, with the flow as much as possible. To what extent do you make use of technology when you're actually on your travels? Um, so I'm a little bit of a technological dinosaur. Um, I was a bit reluctant to, um, I used Braille growing up. Um, I did my, most of my exams in Braille and I was a bit reluctant to go from Braille to using a computer. And I eventually did and I, um, I used JAWS, it's a screen reading software. And I now travel with a laptop. Um, when I first started traveling, I didn't use any technology at all. Um, and I would phone my mum maybe one three months and then the time Back then, I didn't have a girlfriend, so I didn't have any restraints or any uh, responsibilities. But since I've been in a relationship for the last sort of 12 years, I I need to sort of contact her every so often. So I decided to travel with a laptop because it's just easier. Um, And I also I can research as I'm going as well, so it gives me a bit more independence. Um, But I still don't use a digital phone or a smartphone like most people. because I don't like swiping. I find that very frustrating, even though there's speech technology on the phones. And I also struggle to hear them. My girlfriend's blind and she uses a smartphone and it talks to her and stuff. But um, I, no, I'm not really, not really uh, comfortable with them. So, And also a lot of the countries I go to don't have um, a lot of stable internet. <laughs> so... so um, yeah, and also I'm aware that something like a smartphone or that was quite easily stolen. Um, I had my laptop stolen a couple of times while I was travelling. 
Um, yeah, I use technology to a certain degree. I believe um, I believe in using people and talking with people. I find that more helpful. It's an interesting one because for me that just brings up a, another question. Do you you say that your your family have been quite open minded about encouraging you to travel and to to go and experience things that you want to do? Do you ever get the sense that they worry about you if they haven't heard from you? Oh yeah, of course they worry about me. Uh, my mum, my mum will never stop worrying about me, but okay. she. Um, she realises now it's what I do. She's never going to stop me doing it. Um, I'm a lot more sensible now than I was 20 years ago when I was drinking. And, um, yeah, so I email her as much as possible. And, and she helps me plan my trips a lot of the times anyway. Um, she's actually made tactile maps for me. It's this kind of orange kind of glue stuff. And she draws around the borders of countries for me. And I know it's a feel the, the shape of each country. And then we put... Um, big blobs for the major cities so I'm able to sort of work out where each city is within sort of location of each other and um, plan my trips that way um, so yeah my mum's amazing um, I couldn't do any of this without her but um, my brother and sister sort of worry more and don't really understand it as much but um, you know I'm just totally to them so um, yeah that's what I do I think it's good and I, I'm just curious about that side of things. I know how sometimes the people close to us do get nervous, but it's good to know that at least the technology is available now that we can stay more in contact. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my girlfriend worries about me and misses me when I'm traveling for two or three months and she's a bit jealous because she's working and can't <laughs> traveling, but, you know, I sort of try and promise her to sort of speak every day or at least email and you know i say oh i'm going on this trip for three days i'm going to be out of technological contact and she kind of understands for the most part we kind of made it work over the year for the most part yeah. and when she travels with me then she's she got to see and understand more what i do and why i love it and she gets to experience some of that as well which is good but the ultimate travel for me is just traveling by myself independently. I feel free. I feel like a bird. I think we'll we'll dig into a few of the details about exactly how you go about the experience of traveling. I think you have touched on some, but I want to go just slightly sideways at the moment for the next question. And that is, what are your next destinations that you're wanting to visit? And what are your top three destinations that you've been to so far? Um, well, so far, um, New Zealand's my favourite country. I could live there. I visited twice. I spent three months there when I was in my early 20s, and it was amazing. I think it's because it reminds me of the UK so much, and the weather's similar, um, the nature's similar, a lot of countryside and a lot of sheep. <laughs> Um, and a lot of places you can walk and um, you're never too far from the sea which is what I love I I need to live by the sea um, I'm only about four minute walk from the beach now which for me is wonderful because I can hear it and smell it night and day so yeah I found New Zealand amazing um, I found Brazil incredible in terms of music and energy and the food um, they have these restaurants where you go in instead of just 
ordering a meal and eating it and paying for it. You have buffets and you put as much food on your plate as you want and they weigh it and um, you pay for the, the weight of your plate. So that was very different. Um, I just love, love Brazil, the energy and so many places to go every night and feel samba and salsa and the very open-mindedness of the people, very natural. And, um, yeah, and I don't know. Indonesia possibly would be my top third country. Again, different culture, lots of smells, fruits. They had this fruit called durian. It's weird. It's all spiky and it stinks, absolutely stinks. Um, but it tastes quite nice. Um, yeah, it's a very strange fruit. Um, and I like uh, Indonesia because um, every island seemed quite different. Um, one island I went to was largely Muslim and Islamic, and then another island I was Christian. So I got to see the uh, alternative parts of religion and the culture and how it sort of interacted. And and then, um, again, the nature, I was able to climb volcano and smell the sulfur and, and swim in the ocean do all kinds of different things. I'm a very diverse country. Yeah, so they would be my top three, probably. And then Japan for its food as well. <laughs> well the most incredible food I've eaten in Japan. And in terms of countries that you are most hoping to visit next? Um, obviously, I'm going to go to Greece to see my girlfriend um, <laughs> uh, beginning of next month. But once um, the world sort of becomes... Less COVID, I really wanted to go to India. I mean, that would be incredible. I've been to Sri Lanka and smaller parts of Asia, but I think India, India will be the most ultimate, ultimate challenge for a blind person. Um, the chaos and the traffic and the amount of people. Um, I mean, I've been in Tokyo and I've been in Mexico City with millions of people on the street, but just uh, that constant of movement in India, in India on a day-by-day day basis and, the smell, I mean, all the all those senses just being attacked constantly will be amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bhutan, I really want to go to Bhutan because, again, that's a very different culture. And, uh, they sort of control their tourism, how many sort of people they let in at a time. Um, yeah, and Nepal as well. I really like to explore Nepal and mountains. They're my sort of next sort of three destinations, hopefully. When you're traveling, do you usually find that people are open and receptive to the way you operate you know, with your blindness and your hearing impairment? Do you find that people are happy to engage with you and, and to talk to you and accept what's happening? I would say in general, overall, yeah. I mean, there are certain countries where it's more difficult, but I would say the generosity and kindness I've had shown to me around the world over the years is staggering. It's um, for people who've taken me home and fed me, for people who've just given me directions, uh, you know, or, or just a comment passing by. And, and I find that most people, the most countries I go to, um, but particularly countries that have got West, less sort of Western infrastructure and West sort of um, open to seeing disabled people day in, day out. Um, I find those countries more receptive. Um, absolutely shocked, and they can't believe what a blind person is in their country traveling. And they sort of 
struggle to understand why, but I sort of explain to them that I'm, you know, I, I can talk with people and have a conversation and you don't need to be blind to do that. Then they seem to, a lot of people seem to get it and just welcome me into their home and just to share a meal. A lot of people want to protect me as well, make sure I don't get run over and it's quite, um, yeah, and I, you know, and I've also found it interesting that um, in Africa, particularly in the rural places, in the villages, in the countryside, they're a lot more accepting um, because they think um, they're more used to seeing disabled people in their families, in their culture, uh, as they're not so much in the cities. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I found it more difficult in Eastern Europe and some parts of Asia where they're just not used to seeing disabled people moving independently. They're hidden away. Do they find that quite curious, but also quite difficult to really understand? And also language barrier in some parts of Eastern Europe, so that's been more tricky. And also in countries like Italy, surprisingly, I really struggled in Italy. Um, I just don't want to really help. Um, and my girlfriend speaks reasonably good Italian, and we still struggle. They just point. <laughs> it's not much good if you're blind. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, on the whole, I think um, I've been. Yeah, you know, I feel like um, people have really, yeah, opened up and at least been, been willing to sort of help me, if nothing else. Um, Are there any countries that you would discourage other blind travellers from going to? Um, well, Italy, I mean, if you can speak <laughs> Italian, it really help you a lot. Um, um, I think if you're traveling alone, you really do, do need to really do your research on countries that have got less infrastructure. And you've really got to be confident in your mobility training. And I mean, with a cane. Um, Somewhere like Papua New Guinea, it'd be very, very difficult for most blind people to travel because it's just—you really got to be open-minded and really willing to travel rough. And yeah, it's just no infrastructure. Um, and I think if you go to somewhere like Egypt, then you've got to be prepared to be very patient, and you've got to be prepared to. Fight, almost fight with the people to, to get them to leave you alone. Um, I mean, that happens to any tourist, regardless whether you're blind or not. Um, yeah. So what, what would you say are the most important skills for someone? You've, you've mentioned good orientation and mobility. We've spoken about the adventurous spirit, the confidence. What else would you suggest is... Other types of skills or uh, patience, traits? patience. Um, you need to be patient. Um, the more that you can understand your disability and accept your disability, and be aware that the general public isn't going to understand your disability and know how to say the right thing or do the right thing and be aware of that and be willing to explain to them and, and, uh, and willing not to get annoyed um, each time they do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing because most people 
they're not trying to offend. They're not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. They're trying to do the right thing. Um, I know my girlfriend struggles struggle sometimes. She says, I'm not, I'm not an ambassador for blindness. And, but I, I, I sort of feel as I am. Um, and I think that you can educate the public more about disability, then in the long run, it will make it easier for everyone. Um, and we can't expect the general public to, um, um, to um, automatically understand and know what to do. Some of it's common sense, but some of it isn't. If you've never been exposed to disabled people in your life, then it's understandable. You're not necessarily going to know what to do or how to interact. It's still a big problem in the UK because the British people are so sort of shy or reluctant because they don't want to offend or do the wrong thing. They want to help. They just have that sort of awkward... I go to America and it's totally different. It's a breath of fresh air because Americans come up to you and start speaking immediately. Um, and I've always said to people, if someone offers to help you, all you can say is yes, please, or no thanks. Um, but, yeah. I, I think the ability to communicate is is so important for us. It is. And, and, it's, and it's, something you, it's something you learn as you get older and the more mistakes you make, the easier it becomes. Yeah. And also to know when to communicate and when not to. I think that's that's even more of a skill. But yeah. it, it's to be comfortable asking for help when and if one needs it and to yeah. be polite if one doesn't need help. Yeah. There's no how to say it as well. It's, yes. Which can be a cultural thing as to take into account oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tony, let's shift direction again. I want to talk about your books. You have three books out so far. One of them was released at the end of last year, 2020. That's Tell right. us about your books. Yeah. So my latest book is called uh, Seeing a Slice of Southern Africa My Way. Um, it was a trip I did in end of sort of 2004, beginning of 2005. I was basically wandering the globe. Uh, so it was about my introduction into Africa. Um, and I simply went there to sort of continue my adventure of an escapism, self-exploration, really, uh, and try to come to terms with my life, my disability, and a rejection of love I sort of uh, was going through. Um, so it was... Yeah, about that trip, um, I started in South Africa with no real idea where I'm going to. Um, there's a rough idea to possibly get to Egypt in six months' time, and um, but as far as Malawi, so that that's what that book's about. It's about exploring Africa from my point of view, from a blind person's point of view, and um, the crazy experiences I have, bungee jumping and skydiving, which I've been doing on and off for 20 years. Um, so that's that book is out at the moment. It's uh, ebook only and available on the usual ebook websites. Um, it's exploring the smells and sounds and the people I meet and the adventures I have. And I also have two other books. Uh, my first book was um, Seeing the World My Way. It was originally published in 2010 in print. And that was about why a blind person would want to go and see the world, quote unquote. Um, and the sort of raw, crazy adventures I got up to. Um, 
a younger days of drinking and partying and trying to explain how a blind person travels and how he sees the world, not necessarily through sight and through vistas and through buildings, but through um, senses and walking up mountains and bungee jumping and how that sensation feels like. Uh, and, they, and then um, the second book I published called Seeing the Americas My Way, um, about six years afterwards, and that was about coping with being blind um, after I'd stopped drinking um, and trying to come to terms with uh, emotional experiences and stuff. So they're my three books, and hopefully they sort of tell my story and why I travel and uh, what it gives me, and, and hopefully also it sort of shows people that, with disabled or not, um, that they can live their life and live their dreams and do things they want to do. And mine's a kind of extreme version of that. That's sort of kind of what the books are about. As an author myself, I know that there are some books that one needs to read all three, starting at the beginning and working through to the end. Does one have to do that with your books or can we pick up one, any one and dive straight in? Um, yeah, that they're, um, I mean, they are, are a trilogy, but um, uh, in essence, um, people can start with the latest one or the first one or the middle one um, and get a, an idea of, my, of me and my journey. And um, they are all slightly different. Um, but yeah, it's um, open ended. And I think uh, every, everyone will get something out of each book. Um, yeah. Are you planning? If nothing, if nothing, nothing else, they will uh, 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 at least have a laugh. <laughs> Are you planning on writing more books after this, the one you just released? Uh, probably eventually. I'm sort of having a rest at the moment. Um, I'm sort of toying with ideas, but um, we're probably got more stories of my African adventures to write. Um, um, yeah, and eventually, long term, I'd like to get into fiction, maybe kind of travel fiction or sort of action fiction, kind of things I read. Um, yeah, um, maybe. Um, yeah, so I sort of write in spurts. Um, I like sort of, write, sort of writing um, short, long pieces. So I like sort of writing articles on, on Facebook and on my website. I kind of enjoy that. Mm. The writing can be hard work, especially the editing. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> that is so true, and it yeah. seems to take forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you don't you don't want to stop. You think, oh, I don't know that word change. Just something like perfection. Oh. My mum says you need to stop now. Okay. I think that is um, part of the the hard parts of writing is to let the book go and let it go out into the yeah, world. Yeah. It's a tough thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Starting and stopping. Yeah. Once <laughs> I start, I can flow. But it's, once, uh, once I start, yeah, but starting, oh, I'll do it tomorrow and then stopping. Yeah. Tony, if people would like to find out more about you or would like to contact you, how can they do so? They can contact me through my website, which is www.tonythetraveller.com, and I spell traveller with two L's. Uh, and I can also go to my Facebook, which is also Tony the Traveller, and I'm also on YouTube. They can contact me through my website and my Facebook, and my books are available on the usual websites. They're all ebooks. Mm, yeah. Fantastic. Well, 
great. Thank you. Last question. Many people with disabilities are in a situation where either because they are quite sheltered by family or <laughs> because they're uncertain of the unknown, they're, they're a little anxious about that, that they are nervous about traveling. Why should they do so? What advice would you give? Um, I think and feel everyone should try traveling once, whether that means going to a, a place or a certain town for a day or a weekend or a week or two weeks, whether it means going to a resort and sitting on the beach or doing a cooking class or walking up mountains or in the countryside or adventuring out for three months, I think everyone should try it. And I don't see why almost anyone can't have a go. Um, but I do realise that what I do is slightly more extreme and that wouldn't be for everybody. But I think people should try it. And when I first started travelling, I started travelling, I went to countries I could speak the language, like America and Australia, and I understood the infrastructure. So I knew I could probably cope with most things. So I recommend that people do their research if they want to go to a, a tourist attraction for the day or another place for the day. And maybe go with someone, go with a friend or a family member and just try it. And if you like it, then maybe do another weekend and then just baby steps. That's how I started traveling. Um, and go from there. And then uh, just branch out a bit more each, each time or each week. And you'll discover that you'll discover new places. You'll discover things you like. You'll discover things you don't like. If you don't have a go, if you don't try, you'll never know. And the more you do something, the more confidence you'll get. And then you'll suddenly start to believe yourself in more and you'll discover so many things about yourself. Um, and it's just, it's just so much out there. And it, gives, it gave me so much confidence, um, so much understanding about myself. It's improved me as a person. Um, meeting so many different people and different cultures and learning about different religions and how people live and believe and how people interact with when they're different cultures alongside each other and about myself and about how people interact with my disability and how they understand my disability or not. And that's allowed me to grow and understand my disability and become a better person, I think, I hope. So... There's so much out there for everyone. So just try it. And if you don't like it, then you can go back home and yeah. just fair enough. Go. Some great words there and some very true words. Tony, mm. thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me today. It's been Absolute great pleasure. hearing some of your adventures. And I've had the privilege of reading at least one of your books. Um, <laughs> seeing a slice of southern africa my way and i can definitely recommend it to other people particularly those who don't know much about southern africa although i'll say that i learned something about my the countries that i've visited as well so it was really great to read it and i would recommend it but thank you so much thank for you. joining us on the podcast it's been great to chat to you thank you very much it's been great pleasure 
by the time this episode comes out, Tony Giles will already be back traveling again, and we wish him success on his next travels. Our travel quote today comes from travel writer Pico Ayer, who said, We travel initially to lose ourselves, and we travel next to find ourselves. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of A Different Way of Traveling. We look forward to talking to you next time. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za, on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa, and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za. Editing by Craig Stratton using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow, based on a motif by Lois Stratton. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on A Different Way of Traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.